So it says in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, listen, I don't think you have to memorize Scripture for the sake of memorization, but you do have to be a student of the Word if you want to understand what's taking place here. If you go back and you study between verse 1 and verse 2, because it's like God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was out form, well, why would God create something without form? It doesn't make sense. God is intentional. He doesn't create, create anything without form. What you'll discover is that in between verse 1 and verse 2, you have what takes place in Isaiah where it says that I beheld Satan fall as lightning to the earth. So understand that God creates heaven, God creates earth. All these things transpire in between time. They don't write all about all this. If you read your Bible, even if it talks about Jesus, it said that Jesus did so many. It says those miracles we read about in the gospel, they're not even a tenth of the things that Jesus did. It said that if we could record everything Jesus did in his three and a half years of ministry, it would take books that would fill up the earth. So you have to understand that while the Bible is our manual, it is not, it doesn't lay out every single detail. So it says, and the earth was out void, was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The first thing that you need to take from this in your life is that any time in your life something's going to change, it's going to change because the Spirit of God begins to move. And it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Satan hit the earth. The earth became, took on darkness, and God came back, and he saw the earth, and he said something to the earth. What did he say? Let there be light. And what happened? So God is showing us from the beginning how he intends for us to operate. When God looks at the earth and he sees that the earth is dark and without void, he doesn't go, dang, it's dark out here. He says, let there be light. He's establishing a principle from the beginning that we don't focus on what we see. We call into existence what we need. So we don't look at our checkbook and go, there's never any money here. We look at our checkbook and say, we thank you, Lord, that there is full supply. Keep going. It says, and God saw the light and that it was good, and God divided, divided the light from the darkness, and God called light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters, and let divide the waters from the waters. Next verse. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. We doing something. Keep going. And God said, every time God creates something, what does he do? He says, he says, let there be this thing and let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And he called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the water seas. And when God saw it, it was what? So God has created a principle for mankind because we're created in his image that we should see in our heart what we believe. We should say it. We should do the work to cause it to come to pass. And then it should be good because it was exactly the thing that we saw. Make sense? Next verse. 
It says, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit yielding tree, um, fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is, in, is on itself upon the earth, and it was so. So important for you to understand this. This scripture tells us that everything is going to reproduce after its own kind. It tells us that if you want apples, what do you have to plant? And if you want um, human babies, what do you have to do? Plant. Yeah, that, you, I didn't need your extra details. Just plant. Humans, yes, that's all. Plant. It says, and then the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after its kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself and after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Right? So whatever you and I are going to produce is going to start with the seed in our heart. It's what he's telling us here. Let's keep going. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the ferment of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for season and for days and for years. Keep going. And let them be lights in the ferment of the heaven to give light up on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made also the stars. But wait a minute. Hold on. The very first thing that God said was what? Let there be light. But it's three days before he actually creates the thing that gives us light. It lets you know that God doesn't need the natural manifestation to produce something in your life. So what you say is, I don't have the money to start the business. But if you would step out in faith, you would see that the money existed before you started. Because God doesn't need the natural. He is the one who creates the natural. Keep going. This is so important because if you don't understand this, you're never going to be able to live in the kingdom. He said, and he set them in the ferment of the heaven in the day and over the night. And the fourth day, I want to go now to verse 26. He creates all these things in days. And then God said in verse 26, after he's created everything, all the birds, all the plants, all the animals, the sky, the, all of that. And then he says, let us make man how? In, in what? Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself, right? So the thing you need to understand is that when you get offended and don't see yourself like God sees you and you say, oh, I can't be like God or I'm just a human, you are actually contradicting what the word has said about you because it says that you are made in the image of God. And after our likeness and let them have what? So man is created to have what? Let's look at what man is created to have dominion over. Dominion over what? And over what? And over what? And over what? And over what? All the creeps. All the creeps. So we have dominion over all the creeps. But notice here that God does not give man dominion over other men. Because God never intended for man to be ruled by another man. He intended for man to rule over the elements of the earth and for each man to be ruled by God. It says, so then man created man, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he, him, male and female created him then. I love it. See, God is smart. God knew that he had to say that he created male and female in his image or some religious guy would come along and say that women were, were um, inferior to men and only men were created in the image of God. But very intentionally, God says, male and female are created in the image of God. Amen. Amen. And then he blessed them 
we learn blessed means what? Empowered to prosper. And he said unto them, do what? Do what? And keep going. Now let's just stop right there. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. We didn't even get to have dominion yet. So it says that as a believer, your life should look like this. Fruitfulness, multiplication, replenishment, and subduing the things that would try to keep you from being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing. He says, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves up on the earth. And he says, and I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. For you it shall be meat. Now, I'm trying to illustrate a point here that in the beginning, God's intention were for you and I to live in victory. He create. he noticed this. He doesn't bring us to a barren place and then create. He takes it and makes it fruitful. And then he places man in there. And he says, now your job is to do more with what you started with. So he says, listen, be fruitful, use, multiply what you have. So this is his first intention for man. Then if you read in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, you'll discover that Adam and Eve get deceived. The Bible says that Adam, Eve was deceived and Adam disobeyed. And basically the serpent, so they were already made in the image of God. Did you read that? They were made in the image of God. But when Eve gets tricked, she gets tricked because the serpent says to her, if you do this, you will be more like God. Now, the challenge with religion is that religion always wants to tell you that you got to do one more thing to be more like God. But the Bible says that the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were remade in his image and you are already like God. So, Adam and Eve sin and all of this abundance that's on their life gets stripped away. And they go into this place where they begin to toil to live. They begin to struggle. They live paycheck to paycheck. They're barely making it. That's where the pain of childbirth comes into place. None of those things existed before the sin. But then God says something interesting in Galatians. Let's go. I do want you to pull this up. Galatians 3.13 because I really am trying to show you something so you will live at the level that God is calling you to live. I am trying to invoke you that you will begin to be a student of the word so that you will begin to see what God has for you and you will stop settling for things that don't belong to you. 3.13. Now, this curse, wait a minute, hold on. Let me back up. Don't move the script. So what happens is, is because all of humanity is in Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sin, all men become sinners. Sin is not about action as much as it's about a state of identity. So when Adam and Eve sin, all men become sin. Well, that makes sense to you, right? If you have a kid by Strickland, all the kids become what? Stricklands by virtue of who their daddy is, right? So the Bible says that sin entered in through one man's disobedience. And it says, but redemption ended in, entered in by one man's obedience. 
So we got into sin because of Adam, and we get out of sin because of Jesus. But not only do we get out of sin, it says that he did what? He redeemed us from the the curse. What does curse mean? Empowered to fail. So it says that if you have accepted Jesus, you have been redeemed from the curse of failure. Say, I've been redeemed from the curse of failure. Why? Because Christ was made the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. Verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I told you, anytime God is going to do something in your life, he's going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He did it in the beginning when he created earth. He did it now as your born-again state. The Bible says that the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are sealed. You belong to God forever. Say, I belong to God forever. Now, here is the challenge. I'm going to get some people because I want to do an illustration. Can I get the Smiths? Can you guys come here? So the Smiths are Adam and Eve. Don't stone them. Don't throw rocks at them. It's all y'all fault. Y'all had done better. (laughs) We wouldn't even be here today. So they represent Adam and Eve. So every single person that is born is born into sin. Right? That makes sense. BJ, come be Jesus. <laughs> Stand over there. Over there. So this is the kingdom that every man and woman is born into. Does this make sense? And then Jesus comes and Jesus says, if you believe in me, I will translate you out of, come get me, BJ. I believe. Out of, take me back to your kingdom, out of and in two. Now, I still look like them, but I am not like them because I have been redeemed. What's, what's an even more potent example of it? Adoption. They have me. They decide that they need to give me up for adoption. When he adopts me, they have no ties to me. Now, I'm ahead because black people be struggling with this, okay? You, 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 somebody adopt a baby, and you still like, that's so-and-so baby. No, 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 no. The, the adoption papers, the law came in and said that you might have had Smith blood, but you're no longer a Smith. You have become a piggy, which means you don't have a right to inherit their curse, and you have a right to inherit his full blessing. Here's the challenge for most believers. You have been translated here, but you live here. He put you here. He said poverty isn't yours. Depression isn't yours. Sickness isn't yours. But because you look so much like them, you think that everything that they say you should have is what you should have. And so you're living beneath. So you're confessing for abundant life, but you're living like you're just a mere man. The Bible says we've been translated out, not just out. It would have been great to just be out of sin. If you had abusive parents, it would just be great to be free from abusive parents, right? He says, not just are you translated out from under the curse of the law, the abuse of sin, the abuse of the curse, but you have been translated into a 
new place. Now, here's the problem with adopted kids sometimes. Adopted kids cannot always appreciate their new environment because they keep talking about how they don't look like their new family. And so they spend their whole life trying to reconnect with the old when they've been translated into the new. So my challenge to you is to get you to see that the moment you accepted Jesus, you may still look like the world. But that's not who you are anymore. Now you live over here with full access to everything God says belongs to you. So you're here with full access, living like you're here with no access. And so that's why you think you need to do more. You need to pray more. You need to do all of this stuff to jump through enough hoops to get God to. And God is like, listen, I already changed your name. You already belong to me. So we don't pray because we're trying to get God to move. We pray because we believe he's already moved. And prayer conditions me and positions me to receive what's already been established for me. And if you don't understand the difference between that, you will spend your life begging God for what he's already given you. Does that make sense? Amen. Thank y'all. Appreciate y'all. This is crucial to understand. So then let's go to um, Matthew 6, 33. So that's why we keep saying, oh, yeah, thank you, Holy Ghost. So that's why we keep saying that if you're going to live in the kingdom, you got to live by faith. In the world, the currency for exchange is what? It wasn't a trick question. I ain't trying to trick y'all today. The currency for exchange in the earth is what? In the kingdom, the currency for exchange is faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. But because the kingdom of God is superior to the natural kingdom, you can use faith to get whatever you need in the natural. God took his faith, he used his faith to create light. He took his faith, he used his faith to create nourishment. You can use your faith to create whatever you need, but if you don't know that you have a right to, you will live your life beneath. Say, I'm done, I'm done. living beneath. Living beneath. Amen. Amen. Y'all didn't sound fully convinced, but by faith, we're going to keep going. Let's look at Matthew 6 and 33. Matthew 6 and 33. My people, they coming. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Listen, you got to give it up for the sound people because you don't even miss the, you don't even know the sound people back there till something go wrong, right? So we thank y'all. It says, but seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added under, unto you. If you go back in verse 6, in chapter 6, what you'll find is that he's actually talking about things, things, stuff. He says, take no thought for your life, where you're going to eat, what you go wear, all of that stuff. Not like that you don't care what you put on, but don't be consumed by that because your father already knows what you have need of. Say, God already knows every need that I have. Pashon, why do I have needs that aren't being met? Because you're using something besides faith to exchange. 
You're trying to make an exchange using something besides faith. In the kingdom, you don't get stuff because you work hard. In the kingdom, you don't get stuff because you fasted a long time. In the kingdom, you get stuff because of faith. Now, faith may lead you to fast. And faith may lead you to work, but there is a difference between working to get God to move and working because you believe God has moved. Let me give you a great example. This is going to make a lot of sense to y'all. So there are women who want to be wives. They are not yet wives. So what they do is they act like wives in hopes that if they act like a wife, someone will wife them. So he not your husband, but you cook for him. And he not your husband, but you fold his clothes and take his stuff to the cleaner. And he not your husband, but you give that good good to him. He not yours because you believe that if you work hard enough, he'll pick you. I am a wife. I cook because I am a wife. (laughs) I do the other stuff because I am a wife. Because if it wasn't no wife... (laughs) ain't gonna be none of that that's the difference in living by faith and working for something because when you're the wannabe wifey you hope you can do enough to be recognized if I just cook enough if I just is it true listen that's why people who single women who single who want men they always think that the key to getting a man is is what you do all the wives be like, that ain't what it take. <laughs> so you're doing all this work. you learning how to twerk. you got all this stuff going on. <laughs> you have pole dancing classes. <laughs> you don't even know that wives, <laughs> we go to bed in T-shirts. Because <laughs> you working trying to qualify where we already qualified. That's the difference between being a believer in the kingdom and someone who's just religious. You want to do enough to qualify. Tell your neighbor, say, you are already qualified and you didn't qualify yourself. Now, here's where it gets murky for Christians. Because we hear this thing about being a good Christian. Who wants to be a good Christian? There really is no such thing as a good Christian. You can be a good person who is a Christian, but there really is no such thing as a good Christian because everybody becomes a Christian the same way. How does everybody become a Christian? Accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Now, this is where we get messed up. Let's go to Romans 5 and 17. Romans 5 and 17, this is where we get messed up, where it gets all twisted for us, and where if we're not careful, we'll end up being religious when we've been called to be free. Is this making sense to you guys so far? Listen, it needs to be making sense because it's hot up here. I am sweating. Y'all better get something out of this today. Uh-uh, water won't help. I want some air and swimming pool, whole swimming pool. Right. It says, for if by one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Here's what it says that jacks everybody up in this thing right here. If your good acts did not qualify you for God's blessing and righteousness, then your bad acts cannot disqualify you. Oh, but how does obedience work? Let me show you how obedience works. Taylor is adopted. 
There is nothing Taylor can do to stop being a Strickland. She going to be a Strickland forever. Even when she takes somebody else's name, we going to say stuff like this to him. If you can't treat her right, bring her back. Don't make me come get you. Because she always going to be a Strickland. But her obedience determines what she receives. So a lot of people are saved, but you don't live in overflow because your obedience keeps you disconnected from what God is trying to do in your life. Here's a God says, no, no, let's make it natural. I say to you, meet me at our best bank in Springdale, Arkansas tomorrow, and I'm going to give you $15,000. Where do you need to be to get the money? But what you did was you went to Sunset 412 and you decided that you wanted to stop at Denny's and eat breakfast. And now you want to know why I won't walk the money down to you. The challenge for a lot of you is that God has said to walk by faith and to do X. And what you do is you go, this is as far as I can go. And God going to have to bring the rest of it to me because this is only as far as I can see. So we got to walk by faith. So my acts don't disqualify me from being a Christian but my obedience will position me to receive the best of what God has. Only crazy parents give bad kids stuff. So you bought your kid a scooter. When you bought your kid a scooter, they didn't obey you. They was riding all over the neighborhood. You had to call the police twice trying to find them. Now, why would you go buy them a car? You ain't got good sense. Well, God is a good daddy. So God always gives you what you prove you can handle. So let's say this. Let's use some practical examples. Do practical examples work best? So you're believing God for increase. God increases you. You say to God what people always say in the God. Because you know, like, I don't know about y'all, but you know, like, when you used to not live right? Y'all remember when y'all used to not live right? And, like, you would do stuff, and you would just say, like, whatever you did. I ain't going to talk about whatever you did, but you would say stuff like, Lord, if you just get me out of, this situation, you be at the altar crying, you tell the Lord how you're not going to miss no more Sundays. Lord, if I'm just not pregnant, Lord, if she's just not pregnant, Lord, if I just pass this class, Lord, I promise I will go to church every Sunday. Lord, I'll go to church every Sunday for a year. Now, here's the problem. God never told you you had to go to church every Sunday for a year to be blessed. But now you made a vow to the Lord, and then the moment she's not pregnant, or you find, or you not pregnant, or you pass the class, you forget that you made a covenant with God. And then you go back and do what you did before. So we don't want to be the kind of people that have to live. The children of Israel were the prime example of this. They had to be in trouble to live God for God. Tell your neighbor, say, don't, don't. Be, a be a person who has, who has. to be in trouble. To live, for God. to live for God. Have you ever noticed when your kids are in trouble how obedient they get? How much extra stuff they can do? Like when your kids get in trouble, they got a lot of extra on their life. You know what I'm saying? Like you asking them to wash a dish, they like, we ain't just wash the dishes. We straighten up the counters. We put this Tupperware in there. Like, um, 
I, if you would just be consistent doing the things I ask you to do, you wouldn't feel like you had to offer all this other stuff. And so some of you feel like you have to offer God this extra because you don't do the things he tells you to do. Amen. So the challenge is, so I talked about the king, kingdom currency is faith. Well, it would be like if you and I, if we all got on a plane today and we went to Dubai. When you go into a new country, there's always a currency exchange machine. So you can use the money that will work in that society. Some of us are just so accustomed to getting everything we need by how hard we work and how much money we have that we don't realize that that's not how you get anything in the kingdom. In the kingdom, you get everything by faith. How is faith distributed? How is faith expressed? Obeying God. Tell your neighbor, say, you express... Your faith, your faith by obeying God. Here's a real simple example. How did you get saved? The Bible says in order to be saved, you got to do what? Confess with, you got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right? It didn't say you had to come up in front of church and do it, right? But it did say that you had to do what? Believe and confess, right? That is an example of how your faith produced obedience. God said, this is how you get saved. You said, okay, I believe. I'm telling people, I've accepted Jesus. So God says, here is how you get financially blessed. You tithe. You say, that don't make sense. Why would I give God 10% of my income? Are you still a child of God? Yes. Do you get access to what tithers get? No. You know why? Because you didn't participate in the process. God is not moved by need, and this is hard for people to understand. God is not moved because you need something. God is moved by faith. If God was moved by need, there wouldn't be anybody with a need in the world. He's moved by faith. How does God feed a million people in Africa? He stares the desire in somebody's heart, and they respond in obedience. When you're crying out for a church that you can go to, how does God get you to a church? Somebody got to say, yes, they will in the pastor. Somebody got to be obedient to the call. You say you want a wife. You say you want a husband. Somebody got to be willing to marry you. You can't use your faith. You, you can't just pick random people and, and decide you go use your, you, you go marry them. There has to be a response. Is this making sense? So the most important thing we can do is learn to live in the kingdom. The kingdom has a different way. Like it's so interesting. If we live in Northwest Arkansas where there are lots of people here who are not from America. And you have the opportunity to understand that when you're exchanging sometimes, that when you say something, it doesn't mean the same thing. And so sometimes for Christians, because we haven't taken enough time to think like God, to learn, that, learn how God thinks, we're really good with religious language, but we're not saying what God is saying. And so we're not getting what God is saying that we should have. Say it is the will of God for me to be blessed in every area of my life. Now I want to go to Luke 4, and we're going to spend the rest of our time in Luke 4, verse 18. And if you go to 1 John 3 and 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Poverty, fear, sickness, death, destruction. But we can sum it up that the work of the devil is the curse. 
It is anything in your life that keeps you from living at the maximum place that God has called you to live in, right? So Jesus came to redeem us from the curse and to destroy the works of the devil. So literally, it's like this, which is one of my favorite examples to, to um, use. When the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, every slave in the United States was immediately free. Say immediately. But do you know that there were slaves in Texas that stayed enslaved for another year because they didn't have the word yet that they were free? Do you know that there were slaves that once they were released wouldn't leave the plantation because they didn't know how to live outside of being controlled by somebody else? So it's not just enough to hear the word. You have to decide to act on the word so you can produce what the word says you should have. And so we talk all the time, third John, beloved all, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. This is important for you to understand. When we are talking about soul prosperity, when we are talking about your chain, thinking change, we are not talking about some positive mumbo jumbo. We are talking about your soul being changed by the word, which looks like this. You grew up thinking everybody had to get sick and die from something. You read the Bible. You find out that you don't have to get sick and die from something, that you can just go home and be with Jesus when your assignment is up. So when people try to tell you that you don't have to get sick and die from something, you don't say stuff like, but everybody got to die of something, because that shows that even though you've been translated, you still have an old world mindset. So you allow the word to be manifest it and you hear it and you study it over and over again until it becomes a, to be a part of who you are. You struggle with depression. You got low self-esteem. You don't just keep sitting around going, I'm so sad. That is not going to help you feel better. You have to find out what God says about you. You say, the, the devil says, you're not enough. The word says, I am more than enough. It says that I am accepted and beloved. And if that means that you got to say it to yourself 2,000 times a day, so be it. Because once your soul gets free, you'll be free. But the challenge is, is that in our mindset, we go, that doesn't make sense. That takes too much time. Listen, the kingdom of God is not run on your logic. The kingdom of God is not run on my logic. I don't care how smart we are. We've established this. Who's the smartest? God. Who's the smartest? God. Say it like you mean it. Who's the smartest? God. God. God is the smartest. And so we need to do things his way if we want his results. Don't you hate when somebody wants your stuff, but they don't want to do it your way? That just, it just irks me. Like if I let you drive my car, and I ask you to put my car back in the garage. Don't leave my car on the street. I told you where to put my car. Now, I'm not like God. He give you a bunch of chances. I just be like, you can't drive my car. You don't have no respect. All right. So Luke 4 and 18. Luke 4 and 18. I want you to look at this. So this is Jesus. Jesus is on the earth. He's prophesying. He's telling them. Every, as it was customary in their temple, they went to his church just like we do, except they didn't have a lot of praise and worship. They just had reading the scriptures all day long. So you should be thankful. You should be thankful. So it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because I told you, every time God go do something, what's he going to do? He going to use his spirit in order to do it. That's why you can't afford to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. You don't even have life power without the Holy Spirit. 
It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Here we go. Now let's actually walk through this scripture. Jesus is there preaching. This is a scripture that's actually in Isaiah. They're prophesying that a Messiah is going to come. And when this Messiah is going to come, he is going to heal, deliver, and set the people free. The very first thing it says that he is going to preach the gospel. What's gospel? Good news. news. So he is going to preach the good news to who? The poor. Well, what does poor mean? Lacking, right? So I looked it up because I think it's important for you to study the word and see what it actually means if you go back and look at the Greek word for poor. Here are all the definitions, and you can just grab whatever stands out to you. To be poor means to be reduced to beggary, to be begging, to be destitute of wealth, influence, position, or honor, to be lowly, to be afflicted, to be destitute of Christian virtues and eternal riches, to be helpless, to be powerless to accomplish an end, to be poor and to needy. So in essence, what Jesus said is this. He says, when he came to preach, he came to preach that whatever your former poverty was, it didn't belong to you anymore. He says, so if you got money problems, I'm your solution. You got mind problems, I'm your solution. You got family problems, I'm your solution. You got job problems, I'm your solution. He came to say to you that you may used to have been poor, but now that you know him, you don't have to be poor anymore. Say, I am not called called to be poor. This is so important because if you don't understand this, then when someone begins to talk about how God wants you wealthy, then the the nature in you, the Adam nature that's used to poverty and lack will fight against what God is trying to do in your life. And you'll say things like this, well, it really don't take all that. Oh, Christians are so wasteful. Well, go back and read your Bible. In the book of when, in, in when Solomon became king and he asked God for wisdom, and the Lord said, because you may ask for wisdom, I'll make you the wealthiest man that ever lived. If you go study it, they were so wealthy that they threw the silver outside of the city gates for the poor nations to get. They were so wealthy that it says that when Queen Sheba came to visit, that Solomon's servants were dressed so well that she passed out. God does not have a problem with stuff. Say it, let's say it together. Say, God doesn't have a problem with stuff. Now, the poverty mentality says this, and we can always see the poverty mentality at work because the poverty mentality always believes that someone else's increase is the result of your lack. Here, let's see it on both sides. If rich people weren't so greedy, we could do better. Poverty mentality. If it weren't so many people on welfare, we could do better. Poverty mentality. Anytime you believe that your increase and your abundance is tied to somebody other than God, you have a poverty mentality. Anytime somebody else's stuff makes you uncomfortable, you have a poverty mentality. Listen, this is what Evan and I say all the time. Let's say that... um. Because we got a lot of people in our family. When you have a lot of people in your family, stuff go fast. I mean, really. You know, if you just got one kid and you buy a box of eight fruit snacks, 
you get eight days. Well, we got five kids, so that means that by the, day, the second time, can't nobody, everybody can't get one, right? And so what happens sometimes is that one of our kids will say, they ate all of the so-and-so. And we always say, you know that's not all they made. You know there's more. Even if they ate all the Frosted Flakes here, you know they make millions of Frosted Flakes every day? So in reality, if you're poor financially or struggling financially, it's not because somebody else took your money. It's because you haven't tapped into what God desires to do to you that would cause you to increase. It is not their wealth that's keeping you in poverty, and it's not the poor people's poor poverty that's keeping you in poverty. We all have access. Say we all have access. Then he says, I love this because God is smart. God knows that it's real hard to talk to people about the rest of their life when their money messed up. It's just the truth. The church don't want to talk about money, but it's hard to talk. Listen, do anybody want to hear me talk about Jesus if you hungry and ain't eating in three days? you like, do Jesus have some fish? Because I read that he, he multiplied some fish. Can you do something about this hunger? It's hard to even hear God when your bills are overwhelming you. You don't even know what you should do when your bills are overwhelming you, when it's not enough. You don't know how you're going to send your kids to college. All of these different things, right? So he deals with the fact that Jesus came to fix your poverty. And then he includes that it's not just your poverty financially. And he says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I love this definition of brokenhearted. Here's what brokenhearted means. You have been shattered by life and your strength was taken. It says, so if something happened to you in life that took your strength, Jesus came to give your strength back. If what your dad did to you took your strength, Jesus came to give your strength back. If what your mom did, if what they did, if the one that broke your heart, if it took your strength, Jesus came to give your strength back. Say, through Jesus, I have received my strength back. But do you realize you cannot receive the strength that Jesus has given you if you only focus on what they took? You, you won't even recognize that Jesus has caused you to be in a place of wholeness because you won't let go of what they did. Is it bad when bad people do bad things? Yes, but you don't have to live in bondage for the rest of your life because somebody did something bad to you. If they broke your heart, you can love again. If they disappointed you, you can find joy again. If you didn't have good parents, you can be a good parent. You are not required to live the rest of your life shattered over something that happened. Even if you did it to yourself. You flunked out of college when you was 18. You 43, scared to go back to school. Did it ever occur to you that you're not the same person that flunked out of school? You've grown up, you've become, you've gotten more life experiences. And to preach what? Deliverance to the captives. Deliverance just means release. It says, so whatever you are bound by, you have been released. Say, I've been released. Do you understand how different life would be for you if you lived as though you were free and instead of trying to get free? You're not trying to get free. You are free. And all the enemy does is try to put circumstances on you to get you to make you think you're not free, to get you to agree with him. What does the word captives mean? People who are imprisoned or confined. I love this definition. 
because it says you have confined how good your life can be based on what you've seen around you. You've decided how much wealth you can have, what kind of job you can have. You've decided where you can go on vacation. You've decided how much you can give. You've decided how many people you can help. You've decided how much joy you can have. You have been confined by something other than what God said. The only limits on our lives are that we don't touch what God tells us not to touch. I'm going to say it again. The only limit on your life is that you don't touch what God tells you not to touch. And other than that, you can have whatever you desire. Well, they don't give promotions to people who don't have degrees. Okay. Then you got one or two options. You can ask God for a word. Because there are people who get promotions without degrees. I got a friend right now who is a senior VP, make over $250,000 a year, has never been to college. Just started going to college in her last promotion. Got promoted over and over again and over and over again. Weekly has headhunters calling her for a job. No degree. But when I asked her about it, I said, why does not have, why do you think not having a degree didn't hold you back? She said, because God told me I didn't need a degree to go where he told me to go. So the challenge for you sometimes is that God tells you he'll do something for you and you look at the limitations. You said everything by the limitations. So God says to you, hey, I'd like you and your family to go overseas for a summer vacation. You go, all these kids, you go and you look at the flight plan. You look, you go, listen, um, they don't have Southwest over there. We're not going to be able to go. You start figuring out how to send your kids to your grandma's house. Instead of saying to the Lord, all right, Lord, you know how much money we got. How are we going to get overseas? Because you don't realize that God wants to use the natural things to express and expand your faith. Amen. Captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind. Loss of sight, physically or mentally. Everybody has lost sight because we were separated by sin. So every one of us thinks out of alignment with God about something. And so we need to let the word change our thinking. We got thinkings about what preachers can do, what people in the church can do, what good Christians should do. We got all these limitations. What did God say to you? Oh, I, I can't do that because I'm a mom. Did God, wait a minute, did God know you were a mom when he told you to do it? Like, is that a shock to God? Like, your kids in stealth hiding from God? God don't know you have kids? Well, I can't do that because I'm responsible for my family. I'm a man. I got to take care of my family. God don't know you have a family? Stop limiting God because you have blinded sight. And instead of trying to tell God about your limitations, ask God to let you see what he sees. God, show me where you want me. God, show me what opportunities you want my family to partake in. Lord, show me what kind of house you want us to live in. Show me what kind of job you want us to, me to have. Lord, what do you desire for me? Because what you want is what I want. And if it's bigger than anything I have ever imagined, I'm not going to back off of it and live in these limitations. Because you don't know how God will use your increase to change somebody else's life. And then it says to set at liberty. Here's what liberty means, the release from bondage or imprisonment. I love it. It actually has two definitions. So God wants to release you from bondage and imprisonment. 
And then the second part is the forgiveness of sins, which is my favorite part right here. He wants to let you go as though you had never committed sin. And this is where we get messed up because we're like, the enemy wants to accuse you. Well, you did this. You did that. I'm about to close, but I want to show you how our thinking is off. Just even in how our thinking is off. So, let's say you gave your kid $100. Well, however old your kid is right now, you gave them $100. And an hour from now, your kid came back to you and they told you that they had lost the $100. Well, how would you respond? How you going to lose that money? What else? Go ahead and say what you, you know your mama done said it to you. You know your mama said it to you. Money don't grow on trees. I bet you don't get another $100. How we parent is so contradictory to God. Because if you can't manage money well, God has to give you more money so you learn how to manage it. Oh, yeah. If you need patience, he gives you more opportunities. He doesn't say you don't have patience. Let me block you off and never let you have a situation again. He says, oh, you need to grow in patience. I am going to give you more opportunities. You believe it about patience. You don't believe it about money because it shows there's a poverty mentality. You believe that God is so good that he'll give you another opportunity to grow in patience but not in money. So you mess up money and you're afraid to ask again because you think you don't deserve it. That's your issue. That's not God's issue. God ain't thinking about whatever little money you think you lost and messed up. In fact, we go in with this scripture right here. Ooh, I hope I can find it. Ooh, where is it? Come on, Jesus. There's a scripture. Mm, I think it's Lamentations. Um, he, um, he forgives our sins for his own sake. That's Ralph, where that scripture? They go find the scripture. I'm going to set it up. So here is where your mentality keeps you from receiving from God. If you gave somebody $100 and they lost it or they blew it, you would have trouble forgetting that. And you would think that the way to protect you and them was to not give it to them again. And so what you would try to do is institute some kind of control over the situation. But whenever God is trying to change us, he always gives us power and teaches us how to use the power. Here's a good example. People don't allow their kids to go out and have any experiences in high school. And then they go to college and they act like a fool. Because you didn't give them an opportunity to learn how to manage themselves in, in high school where you could pull them back. So you lock them down. And you take all of the control away from them and you never give them a chance. And then they go to college and they go, ain't nobody here to make me go to church. I ain't never going to church. They at parties they don't even want to be at because you wouldn't let them go to the party. Because you didn't teach them, I took, you didn't teach them how, so God, when he wants to change your life, he will give you the very thing that the world would withhold from you to teach you how to manage it. 
So basically, this is how God set it up. God says, I want to be good to you, but I can't deal with sin. So I got to pour all your sin on Jesus. And now you stand like Jesus does when you come to me. See, you think that when you go to God, that you go to God and stick. You don't. You go to God as Jesus. The same rights and privileges that Jesus have belong to you. Yes, he knows your name, but you don't come in your name. You come in his authority, which literally looks like this. If one of my kids walks up to me and says, Daddy said if you give me $100, he'll give it back. You don't get the $100 because you you. You get the $100 because you cool you came in the name of. So you don't get blessed because of you. You get blessed because of the name that you came in. Why is that important? Because you and I got too many flaws to be able to come. So what God said is he set the system up like this he is perfect he is amazing and he forgets nothing but here's what he said about you he said I forget your sin for my own sake because I can't be good to you if I remember all the stuff you did he says I am he that blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake and I will not remember your sin do you know what the word remember means to put back together so you go to prayer and you want to talk to God about your past. But of his own choosing, he don't even know what you're talking about. You want to talk to God about how you blew it last week? Of his own choosing, he has forgotten and refuses to reassemble what you did last week. So when you're having a conversation with somebody about what you used to do, it ain't God, baby. God ain't talking to you about who you used to be. God is talking to you about who you are. Why is this important? I'm done. Oh, I want to show you this last illustration. Um, did you guys get something out of this today? So, I want to show you this. I don't really think I need the mic except they need it for the recording. Can you hold the mic? Okay, so, when I first got married, I folded my towels like... This. This is how I folded my towels when I got married. Needed in that though. But like this. But then I messed around and came into the kingdom of Strickland. <laughs> and in the first time I folded towels, I was informed that this was not how we folded towels in the Strickland kingdom. That we fold towels like this in the Strickland kingdom. Chris, you used to litter. You got threes. We fold tile with threes. That's where I got it from. Threes. In the beginning, folding a towel like this felt awkward to me because this wasn't how I folded tiles. This was how I folded tiles. That other step didn't make sense. But now after 21 years of folding tiles, <laughs> <laughs> Promise. this seems normal to me. As a believer, you're doing things in the kingdom like this. And that's why they're not working for you. And it feels uncomfortable to do it like this. 
But if you would do it like this long enough, it would be normal for you. See, if you would get God involved in your finances long enough, it would become normal and you wouldn't think you just had to manage your own finances by yourself. If you let God talk to you about what to say to people long enough, it would become normal to you not to cuss people out. Instead, See, right now, in the beginning, it feels awkward not to cuss people out. Like, this is a cuss. This is what a cuss look like. You cuss them out, right? This is what a cuss look like. But the Lord said, no, we don't cuss like people. We bless those. We blessed. We're going to bless people. Yeah, it feels right. We... What do you mean? What do you mean we're going to bless people that? Right. But if you do it long enough, it will become your normal. If you stop saying you're a failure long enough, in the beginning it seemed awkward because your parents talk crazy to you, your coach talk crazy to you, and everybody told you you weren't going to be nothing. You Now you believe you ain't going to be nothing. But if you would just long enough begin to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and God has a good purpose for my life, in the beginning sometimes you might mess it up, be a little off, you have to start over. But if you did it long enough, it would become normal to you that you should be treated well and you should prosper. It, should, it would become your new normal. But you don't get your new normal folding the towel like this because it's comfortable. There are some situations in your life you need to quit folding like this. There are some situations in your life you need to go ahead and make the tripod so that you can get what God has.